Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show, talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. This time I'm talking to Ty Bowmaker about his work, NFTs and a range of other topics I hope you'll find interesting. Heading up Captivate Media, Ty is from Wollongong, south of Sydney in the stunning Illawarra region. Captivate is the brainchild of Ty, who has over 10 years experience perfecting his craft and servicing people from all walks of life. From humble roots in action sport, Captivate has progressed into specialist adventure travel and aspirational lifestyle content creation. Broad experience in various industries have allowed Ty to sharpen his skill set for a variety of situations and audiences. Ty has endured the most demanding conditions in the most remote locations to capture his amazing hyperlapse and drone lapse videos and adventure photography. I hope you enjoyed the show. G'day, Ty. Great to have you on the podcast. How are you going? I am doing great. It's been a long day of uh, online conversation, so it's good to back it up with. I don't even know how many hours I've actually spent, like, plugged into the metaverse, plugged in online, uh, plugged in on like Zoom calls and stuff today, but it's all good. It's all positive. It's good networking. It's part of what we're doing right now. Hey, like Absolutely. it's good to actually yeah. have like a face-to-face conversation with you. Yeah, no, it's it's great to have you on and uh, sort of ever ever since I sort of met you in a, in a space and um, saw a bit of your work, uh, you know, re- really chuffed that you said yes to coming on and, uh, you know, and thought I, I thought we could have a really good chat. So um, straight up, we got a lot of free time in our hands right now. So let's make the most of it, hey? Absolutely, that's it. So, what's the Thai bowmaker story? Mm, that's um, kind of hard to summarize, but <laughs> um, as a creative, I've been creating for about fifteen years. I started off. Uh, filming skateboarding and action sports, me and my friends, and kind of just spiraled out of control from there, like has led me to travel the world prior to COVID, uh, work for some very reputable clients, and ultimately allow me to live a lifestyle that I dreamed of. Um, And I'm fortunate enough to be in a privileged position where I had family and friends to support me along the way, Mm -hmm. um, both financially, emotionally, and with like resources and all of that thing. But um, I've been able to manifest my dreams, basically. And right now, if we want to talk about the uh, the type of maker story, I'm sitting in my garage um, in a share house with my girlfriend, um, one of my lifelong friends, and I'm grounded, so to speak, like it's COVID lockdown and hasn't stopped me from working, hasn't stopped me from um, being motivated and making these connections and stuff. So um, yeah, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at right now. And I could talk a hell of a lot more about my background, but let's let's see where else this conversation oh, goes. No problem, thanks. And it's good, good to hear you're uh, in a good place. Uh, you know, I know yeah, man, I, f- I feel I am, yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people have uh, struggled through, uh, you know, particularly the the lockdowns uh, recently, and um, you know, with with the whole COVID thing, there's been been a lot of stuff that uh, 
hasn't been great for some people, but, um, you know, for, for me, you know, one, and again, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you was, you know, just the positivity that I, uh, you know, get from you and every interaction that I've had with you, uh, you know, that, that really comes through in uh, both the way that you talk as, as well as what you talk about. Yeah, thank you, man. Silver linings. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So what's your earliest photography memory? How did you, how did you really get into it right at the beginning? Other than like shooting action sports, this is kind of a funny one that I haven't like really expressed to anybody. I was, I like borrowed my stepfather's DSLR, went out to the front lawn and was taking photos of autumn leaves, like close up macro photos and like trying to frame up between like the the curve yeah. <laughs> in, the, in like the crusty leaf. And I think back upon them, I'm like, oh, that's so like cringy and dumb. And like those images are just shit. But um, I think it's like that curiosity to just kind of explore that craft. Yeah. Um, and that was the first time that I'd really like consider it as something to be artistic. Cause prior to that, like using a camera was just more to like document Yep. And to just so me and my friends could like watch each other skateboarding and riding bikes and stuff. Um, but yeah, that's my first kind of like creative memory. And to be fair, I've always had a fascination with autumn, like come to think of it. And I think it largely stems from like that, that particular moment early in my career. And that would have been about 15 years ago. Yeah. Well, I think everyone's sort of gone through that. And I've, I've talked about it to people on, on the podcast before that, um, you know, every, everybody has to start somewhere and everybody goes through their journey, their creative journey, you know, at different paces and, you know, and, and everyone is wherever they are, where, whenever they started and, you know, they, they are where they are. Um, you know, one of the things that... Uh, you know, for me is is really important to remember is that, you know, you are where you are and you may or may not be as good as somebody else and you shouldn't compare yourself to anyone else in terms of looking at looking at your work versus their work. Definitely. And it, even if you just listen to that story that I just said, like a lot of people are probably at the same stage in their journey, you know, just like experimenting with little things like close to home and whatnot before they venture out a little bit further with their camera so absolutely how did you get started into you you talked about you know being able to lead the lifestyle how did you get started in in that and decide you know i'd really like to do this full time you know as opposed to hanging out and you, you know. this, is, this is a funny story because like i'm almost i had a choice right like towards the end of high school like my attendance was just not there. Like I was given an ultimatum basically where it's like, you either start attending school more or you need to find like another suitable avenue. Like not just like drop out of school and do fuck all. Yep. Um, and we discussed potential avenues whether that be like, go out and get a trade, like be a carpenter or something like that. Um, but I was fortunate enough that I'd already kind of like found my passion in life. Like I already knew what I was going to do and yep. I'd already monetized that. Like my first paid gig was at the age of 15 Fantastic. and like I'm a 17 year old heading into my final year of high school and I'm kind of given this ultimatum and I just kind of took a leap of faith. I just said, look, I don't want to be at school. Like I literally hated school. I did not enjoy having mm -hmm. to go 
in that routine every single day, um, I felt like I was kind of just restricted in following my passion. Um, and I feel like a lot of people will resonate with that statement. I'm not saying just go drop out of fucking school or whatever. There's definitely merit in, in that formal education. But for me personally, I was given that ultimatum and I was fortunate enough that I had another route to go down and I just pursued being a freelance artist from that moment forward. I, I haven't, I've had moments of self-doubt, but I have never looked back and thought that was the wrong decision for me. And I'm just fortunate enough that I'd already come to that conclusion at such a young age. I don't, you, you hear of people that are like triple quadruple my age and still don't know what their, what their purpose is. But I feel well, like I had found that. I, I, I joke to my family and uh, people that ask me, you know, um, that I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up and uh, you know, I'm, I'm well into my fifties. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think um, as creatives, we hold on to that youthful spirit, like that, that curiosity to, to explore the world and create. Yeah. I think, you know, if you, if you uh, keep that childlike curiosity uh, close to the surface and you utilize that, it really does make it much easier to create, um, mm. you know, artistically yeah. because you, you, you can look at things in a different way to, I, I, and, you know, I, I, I noticed that early on with people saying, you know, when I, when I was taking photos back in the film days, you know, that, that's, that's a really interesting shot. It's not something that I would have thought to take a photo of, you know, mm. And, you know, and people saying, oh, you've got a good eye or whatever, you know. And when you hear that, you kind of go, oh, okay, I'm obviously built a bit different, I guess, you know, and you, 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 you look at the world differently, I think. Um, and a lot of Which that... Which is a for, blessing, not a Yeah, curse. absolutely. For, absolutely. For, for me, it's really been being able to say, okay, well, you know, how do I, how do I turn this into something that I, you know, can can use and and utilize you know so have you i guess um thought about or thought much about uh you know what it is that actually motivates you creatively what is it that what what's the engine that gets tybo maker thinking you know oh <laughs> see i was like prior to this podcast I was actually thinking, I wish he had given me a list of questions so I can <laughs> so I can actually have a little bit more preparation for these type of things because motivation and inspiration comes in so many different forms, right? Like yeah. it's pretty hard for me off the top of my head to just be like, it's it's this thing, it's that thing because it's a culmination of different things. And if I were to actually give you a truthful answer, Anything that doesn't bring me negativity to my life motivates me. Yep. That's, that's in its most basic kind of statement that I can make. My friends and family, a lot of the time, motivate me. Um, seeing people around me do well. And very recently, and this is a kind of like been a, a recent shift in my mindset, um, mm -hmm it motivates me to motivate other people. Yep. Like if, if I can, if I can showcase my work, especially if we want to, if we want to tie this into, to a creative aspect, if I can showcase my work 
and people to resonate with that in a way that motivates them to get out there and try the same thing, that's a win in my books. Yeah, great. So are there any particular things that you might be doing that you think are a little bit different to others? Oh, well, we touched upon the drone lapsing stuff a little bit earlier. Um, That directly pertains to NFTs. Um, I don't know if I want to go down that NFT route just yet. I think if I were to actually kind of just look look on a whole and something that I've valued for for the best part of my career is that I want to be a well-rounded artist. I don't want to be known as somebody who just does X or is a specialist in Y or is the best in the world at Z. I want to be a culmination of those things. And like, I'm a big advocate for balance. I I love mountain biking. That's like probably bike riding is my first and foremost passion within my life because it allows me to stay fit. It gives me a sense of community. I can be creative because I can go out there and do some digging or I can like ride in a particular way because you have your own style on a bike. Right. So that for me is my first and foremost passion. Yeah, and I think like predominantly because I do have that background of like riding bikes my entire life and being like a bit of a daredevil and thrill seeker um, and having a broad range of experience. Like I've been to so many places all around the world, have engaged with people of all walks of life, have been to festivals and events and like all sorts of things. And I feel like all of those experiences make me a bit of like a, a boiling pot. Mm-hmm. and I want to try and share as much of that variety as possible. Like if you were to scroll through my Instagram feed or my Twitter feed or whatever, it's all over the fucking place. And I take pride in that, you know, because that's what makes me who I am. I'm not, I'm a multi-dimensional person. I'm not yeah. like just somebody that, that goes out there and shoots storms or shoots Astro or whatever. Like I love it all. I want to yeah. capture it yeah. all. I want to showcase it all. So that's that's my point of difference, I feel. Yeah, cool. Okay. So what, what's your approach to photography as it relates to, I guess, experience versus art? You mentioned, you know, you, you started out, um, you know, recording things, you know, you, you yeah. and your mates skateboarding or, or whatever. When does that start to become art and, you know, transcending into, into great art? that's a that's such a like that's just an opinion more or less that's just my opinion you know if i answer this question truthfully because i feel like the difference between like documenting something and creating art is being able to present it in an aesthetic way but my opinion of what's that what is aesthetic is different to yours is different to like my family's etc um so i think that is a really difficult question to answer and a big reason why great art is considered to be exactly that is because it resonates with the masses is because people like of all walks of life can appreciate that so yeah that might that might even be the question right there if i can create something that is universally accepted to be pleasing to be aesthetic to to share a beneficial message Mm -hmm. and to help other people then maybe that's art as opposed to just documenting. Yeah, sure. Okay. Good thoughts. I, li- I like it. 
I really like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm trying to get as abstract as possible here because I like I don't I don't want to try and sound like everybody else would right now, you know. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> so I, I guess you know I I think you have, but have you actively tried to be artistic in your photographic career? And yeah, how, very much so. How, how has that worked out for you? Do Do you feel that you are starting to get you know somewhat mass appeal and uh, and so forth? I mean, I I don't think anyone in in you know the creative arts is ever satisfied that they've you know created the the, the last masterpiece they're ever going to create and you know i agree yeah 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 so in regards to that <laughs> i um i definitely feel like i have forged my own path so to speak and i've definitely taken a unique approach to a lot of things that i've produced and a big reason why I feel like I've been able to accomplish this is because I'm a big fan of other people's work. So mm. inherently I'm probably going to adopt people's work, but I'm also going to adapt their work as well. And I feel like that adaptation is a big reason for my success. Like it's not as though I ever want to blatantly rip anybody off. Yeah. yeah. And I will always pay homage to people. If, if I seek inspiration from people, I'm going to put that in my caption, in my description, on my website or whatever to tell people like, this is where I got this idea from. Or if people ask me like, oh, you know, like, did you think of this? Like I've produced music videos, for example, where I've had ideas and it's been from like YouTube tutorials. For example, my friends have been like, whoa, how the fuck did you think of that? I'm like, well, I didn't really think of that. Like I just saw something on YouTube. I, I thought that was idea. a great idea and I applied it in this context. So yeah, that's that's the best way I can possibly answer that. I think. Oh sure. So when when you you know let, let's say you're uh, talking about either drone lapsing or you know your landscape photography uh, and and so forth, are you going into the field with a concept of what you want to do before the fact, or are you sort of going out into the into the field and reacting to? the landscape or the light or, or whatever, or is it a combination of both? Um, combination of both, but I would, um, I'm pretty methodical. I like to make plans and yep. I'm going to be honest. I actually get real shitty. if like my plans don't come to fruition. Um, I'm like somewhat a perfectionist with a lot of things in life and particularly with my work. Like I take insane pride in my work and I put in a lot of fucking effort for it and I feel kind of robbed by life if I put in all this fucking effort for something and it doesn't go my way. Um, and I know that's a bit of a childish response and that's definitely something that I've like come to deal with with maturity. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, yeah, I plan a lot, like sometimes to, to my detriment, um, but I feel like if you can plan something and pull it off, it's a hell of a lot more fucking rewarding than just like stumbling into a scenario. You know, that's also really cool to just be in the right place oh, yeah. at the right time. Yeah. But a lot of the time, if you're calculated, you can indeed be in the right place in the right Absolutely. time. Like I have a lot of friends who are landscape photographers and the amount of research they're doing to produce a single 
image or like a composite or whatever is mind blowing. Like it's like it's borderline fucking rocket scientist shit. Like the stuff that they're looking into, like the apps that they have to consult, etc. So I've got a lot of respect for people that that like plan and and reap the rewards from that. And I I want to be one of those people. You know, I want to account for for like the best and the worst in every scenario. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know you and I, you know, uh, have uh, done a bit of work with uh, people with, um, you know, that get into astro and that sort of thing. And, the, you know, some of the planning that goes into some of those astro shots that people do just by Yeah, it's nuts, them. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do mostly seascape, so it's I'm I'm all about tide sunrise times and, you know, sunset yeah. times and that sort of thing mostly. But uh, Yeah, well, it's still like you have to consult a separate set of tools to yeah. what they're consulting like it's 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 just it's no different it's just what well, it is different it's a little bit different that's <laughs> it <thing>. is different very different to shooting a, a seascape i feel like i need to backtrack just a little bit to just yeah, provide sure. a little bit more context um in regards to like this drone lapsing stuff in particular um yeah. Because it is very methodical. There is a lot of planning. It's not as simple as just sending your fucking drone up in the sky and crossing your fingers that you're going to get a good result. Because first things first, you need to find a good setting and you need to have an idea of like what motion is going to be in that setting. Because without motion, it's nothing. Like it's just static. You might as well just be sending your drone up there and, and taking a still taking image. Shot, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. But before we go on, why, why don't you backtrack a little bit further for, for those mm-hmm. who don't know or haven't heard the term drone lapsing before? Because okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, and uh, until I came across uh, you and a, a couple of other people, I, I'd never really heard it before. I'd I'd seen. I guess time lapses, some of which were taken with drones, some of which were taken, you know, on the ground. Um, but you know, is that all it is? Is it just a time lapse that's taken from a drone, or is it more pretty more much than that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's more to it than that. And um, full disclosure, before we delve into this topic any further, I'm not the inventor of this technique, and it comes back to what I was saying before. Like, I'm sure. very inspired by people around me, if I actually want to give you the name of the dude that invented this technique, his name is Brian Bloss. Rest in peace. Um, I actually never had the opportunity to, to meet this man, but he's extremely influential in the drone world, the Hollywood cinema world and TV world. He um, worked on Survivor, like traveling the world yep. uh survivor and what's the other one the amazing race amazing so race. he worked on those he worked on those two tv series uh like the american versions of those traveling the world capturing time lapse and drone footage for those shows um and was heavily connected in the the drone and time lapse world like mm-hmm. globally um and he suddenly passed away um and he was very well connected with some close friends of mine and um i just want to pay homage to him like that i i need to give props where it's due so he basically invented this uh technique i guess you'd call it i'm gonna say five to ten years ago i i I don't know exactly when but he was using a a platform i think it's called litchi 
right? And Litchi is like, um, you can set coordinates and flight paths and stuff like that and save them. This is prior to DJI even offered that function within their yep. drone apps. Now, nowadays, it's so fucking easy to do one in, in the DJI app. Like they have a hyperlapse function. You can set waypoints, which is what I do the majority of the time. It's either I'm setting waypoints like one or two maybe three waypoints that the drone flies in between or i'm setting a direction and it flies in a straight line yeah um so as i said i've got to give homage to those guys because they're kind of like the pioneers in in getting this this all set up and whatnot and um being able to adapt those techniques and for them to just become so accessible to Mm. people like myself like i've I felt inspired and motivated by those guys. And I'm sure, you know, if like if Brian was here and I was able to tell him, you know, dude, thank you for like motivating me to, to put this body of work out there and just like explore this, this new frontier of creating. Um, but once again, like drone lapsing is basically a hyperlapse or a time lapse that's captured with a drone. Um, there's multiple ways you can go about doing this, but DJI makes it incredibly easy with their new drones. Um, and typically speaking, it's literally as simple as flying between two points, setting up those waypoints, and you will dictate how often you want the photos to be captured and how long it takes for that flight path to be completed. Um, I've found that the sweet spot for images that needs to be captured is around 330 because typically if you want 10 seconds, you need 300 images and just having that little second or two on either side is a good little buffer zone. Um, Another good tip, no wind, just try avoid wind. And as I said before, you want to just plan for whatever motion is within the scene. So um, like if there's, like a motorway with cars or there's you can see some fog evaporating or some movement in the clouds or movement in the sun or something like that um without movement these things are nothing as i said like yeah. you might as well just Ever take still. a still image still. yeah so i i don't really know what else to say um about drone lapsing other than i have a collection on open make sure you go check that out <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i it comes back to what I was saying before. I've had a lot of good feedback from people about that. And I tell them, look, I didn't create this technique. Um, like I'm not, I'm not the founder, but if I can motivate you to get out there and give it a go, that's a big win in my oh, books. Yeah. Like I can't really ask for much more than that. Cause at the end of the day, like I still do this commercially. So, you know, if I can share it with other people and maybe give them the power to pursue that themselves, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I, I guess I, I did interrupt you. You were uh, in in the middle of talking about I, I guess how you how you planned and and, and set it up. Um, yeah. So you know, you talked about the 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 setup of the, the the shots and everything what what else what what are you I, I guess what's what's your process for thinking about it before you go out you know you okay before I go out so because yeah. to, to to me what what's interesting is you know that that impetus to go out on a particular day at a particular time 
Yeah. Um, I know what drives me, but I'm interested in hearing that from, uh, you know, some of my okay, guests. That's, around. that's an interesting way of wording that question. And if I were to, it's like a lot of landscape photography, you need to look at the weather conditions. That's like yep. the first thing you do. You want to look for as little wind as possible. That's probably the number one determining factor. Second one's going to be time of day. You probably want to try to get golden light inherently um or like sunrise and sunset where there's like those lights coming on that's also pretty cool yeah yep. um other than that you know it's actually real good google maps and google earth like just yeah, for kind yeah. of like looking at things from a top-down perspective and doing a bit of like um location research because i'm the type of person that if i'm going somewhere i've never been I will utilize the internet to my advantage as much as possible. Like I'll do a pretty thorough Google search. Like I've been on road trips for like months on end, like as bad as it sounds, like almost constantly on my phone, just like researching, right? Like where am I headed to next and how can I capture this in the best way possible? Cause I'm just, I'm a freak about like capturing imagery. There, there is quite a bit of planning prior to going out there, but like everything in life, you can do all the fucking planning in the world. Shit will always go pear shaped. Like if it can, yeah, yeah. it will. Um, and there's been so many instances where I've like planned full trips with the intention of flying my drone and there's just been too much wind or it's been raining or other circumstances, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you're going to roll with the punches. Absolutely. Oh, that's that's photography, isn't it? You know, sometimes yeah, yeah. sometimes you're going to get the light you expect, and sometimes you're not. You know, um, but you're only ever going to show the, the the times when the uh, the light was right. Exactly. You know? If you don't if you don't rock up, then you're not going to get any light at all. So that's exactly it. Yeah, you can't <laughs> catch, you can't catch the, the the photos you don't go out to take. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was going to uh, talk, I guess, a little bit. You know, so once once you you've planned it you know obviously you you you've charged your batteries and you've uh sort of mapped out your your, your ideas so is it as simple as just whacking the coordinates in and the number of frames that you want to take and then you know up she goes and it's never it's never that simple i know <laughs> nothing as soon as you put a drone into the equation nothing is simple my um and i've spoken about this before, before like publicly that I get real anxious flying a drone. Um, I think it's because I've just had so many bad experiences in the past, honestly. Um, and a lot of those have been entirely my fault. And I'm aware of that. But I think that awareness of what can go wrong, yep. it just means that you're on guard every time. And I think the same can be said about a lot of things in life. You kind of like start out a little bit like blissfully ignorant as to like yeah. what the consequences can potentially be. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, flying a drone is stressful to say the least, but when you can capture great imagery, it's a relief. That's for sure. And every time I say, my girlfriend's probably fed up of hearing this, but like every time I catch my drone, I just say to her, that's a relief because it is like that I've, I'm on my eighth drone now for context oh, wow. since um since late 2016 so yeah it's been a pretty severe learning curve in regards to the complexity of actually capturing things though like 
once again, aside from all the usual variables like birds, wind, obstacles, etc., um, you've obviously got to factor in battery life, and that's yeah. that's a pretty big thing. Sometimes I'll even have to like send the drone up, mark the coordinates. You can save those coordinates, bring my drone back to land, swap the battery out so I have a full battery for yeah, that yeah. fly path, send it back up, and then capture it that way. Um, well, I was, I was going to ask, no, do, you, no... do you do all of that? Do you try to do all of that on one battery run or do you sometimes have to expand? It depends. It depends. Yeah. And um, I'm somewhat of a nomad, like when all of this COVID bullshit's not going on. So if I'm out and about on the road, it becomes a very big challenge to keep on top of like charging drone batteries. Um, I usually rely upon like my car to charge them or like overnight accommodation yeah. or whatever um and it's just something to be mindful of because you've only got a limited amount of drone batteries um like what i do anyway i usually travel with four yep. in total um and those will last half an hour at best yeah and that amount of time goes really quickly if you're shooting sunrise sunset and in between on a single day and then it's like, well, then you've got to worry about charging those up for like the next day if you're working on a commercial project or something like that. Yeah. So the batteries are definitely a pretty big consideration. Nowhere near as bad as like um, FPV drones. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think I've pretty much covered like most of the, the considerations. Obviously, you've got like no fly zones and stuff, but, and, sure. but that just falls under the category of just regular consideration for flying a drone there's nothing there's no reason why i would be flying in this manner that would make me exempt from any laws or any other like considerations that people would regularly have to be aware of while flying a drone yeah cool so you've put the drone up and you've you know drained your batteries and you've got your 300 odd shots what's next you get them home and how do you how do you how do you process what do you what do you use i've got a very source, particular but... workflow um so obviously these are captured on like dji drones and yep. that gives me the ability to capture raw files and a big reason as most photographers are aware um that i'm capturing raw files is that it gives me not only great resolution, but a lot of flexibility in post-production. And another huge reason that I need these raw files, and this is often when I'm shooting um, at times of day, like sunrise and sunset, when the light is inconsistent. And this is just across the board for time-lapsing in general. You're typically using a combination of Lightroom and LR time-lapse, and they're just industry standard time-lapsing software um so i'll do like whatever post-processing i need to do in those two programs they're, they're quite complex i don't want to delve into it too much but yeah that's fine after I'm, i don't, I don't after want to I'm, do a tutorial <laughs> yeah 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 so um after that um you can basically drag and drop those files with their metadata like the xmp files associated with those raw files directly into after effects and it reads those as raw files right so you can make a sequence of those raw files in after effects as a video file essentially um 
But for anybody that's unfamiliar with After Effects, it's predominantly visual effects software, um, but it also has a very, very powerful tool or plugin that's used for stabilizing footage. Right. And every time <clears throat> that I'm shooting one of these drone lapses, I need to go in there and I need to set what is called track points. And that essentially analyzes the video footage at a single point that you dictate, like a fixed point, whether it be a building or like a mountaintop or whatever it is. Um, and that, like, people are like, oh, how do you get your footage so smooth? Like, that's sure. how. After yeah. Effects, track points. Um, and that's common knowledge. Like, once again, this is not me being a fucking expert. All of this knowledge is out there on YouTube. And this is the beauty of the age that we're in right now. Like, yeah. if you want to figure something out, YouTube, Google, talk to people on Twitter spaces, send a DM to somebody whose work that you appreciate. Um, but yeah, sorry to go off on a little tangent there. Once you're done in After Effects um, and you export what I call a working file, which is like a high resolution file that does not have any like um, saturation, saturation or contrast. It's like a flat picture profile. So you can edit it in whatever way you want down the line. It has things like white balance and um, like your lens correction and stuff embedded within there. But from there, you're going to drag that into Premiere Pro or like DaVinci or whatever else you use to edit your yeah, videos. Yeah. Um, and that's where I do like the sound design and the color grading and any other visual effects, um, like the motion blur and, and whatnot. Um, and then I export it from there, goes live on the internet. I know I probably made that sound a lot more complex um, than it actually is. But the thing with this workflow is that it is very time consuming. Like not only are you, if, if I were to actually give you a rough estimate of how long it takes to post-process these time lapses, if I'm shooting like a, like a sunset or, or something like that, like a day to night, like an hour and a half or something like that, yeah. I'm probably spending double, triple that editing it. For these drone lapses, I'm probably spending like a good couple of hours still, maybe like half half a, I don't, half a working day or something like that, yeah, yeah. just like waiting for these things to fucking process. And I've got yeah. a pretty a pretty beefed up like MacBook Pro, like the highest spec you can possibly get, predominantly because I travel, like I need a laptop, right? Um, yeah. But this thing's a beast. and I'm trying to edit like 6K raw files into a 4K video file. And dare I say, most people would probably struggle to like even achieve that with, yeah. with your average computer and whatnot. Um, so it is a pretty intensive post-processing um, procedure. And I, I hope it's something that doesn't go unnoticed because I feel like that's where the true beauty of of these pieces, these drone lapses, and just these drone hyperlapse techniques comes to life. Like without the post-processing software and the technology being as advanced as it is, this stuff would not be possible. Yeah. I, I, I'm blown away by technology on a regular basis. Um, but yeah, this stuff is, it's amazing. It really is amazing what technology allows me to do, like to capture these scenes in a way that people have never 
have never had the opportunity to perceive before. And I guess in a sense, like when I'm going out to these locations, I do want to showcase them in a way that nobody would have seen. Like that's a big motivating factor for me. Yeah, yeah. So when when you uh spitting them out the other end, are they they're, they're coming out as a um a, a GIF file or some other video format? What what format do you MP4 typically? MP4. Um that's not like my working file. My working file is like a uh, like a ProRes, like a a, a really big yeah file size. Um but like if I'm putting it onto like OpenSea or even just Instagram or whatever, it's always an MP4 file. That's just like industry standard. It's kind of like an MP3, like the equivalent of an MP3 music file in, in video. Yeah, cool. Okay. So there's a couple of considerations in regards to like export settings just to kind of get that quality fine-tuned. Um, but once again, like that information is readily available on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. Really interesting to, I guess, get get in under the skin of some of these processes. That yeah, I, I hope that provides people with a bit more like context as to what goes on because it's a very lengthy process and i'll understand if people are bored by it but for those people that are interested i feel like they're going to gain a lot of value out of out of what i had to say so absolutely absolutely you're uh based in the illawarra region um how far and you know what what's what's the furthest you've uh, you know got on the road to um to to do a shoot? Or what would you normally do? How far how, how far afield would you normally go? Oh shit, um, that's a tricky question to answer. So for a bit of context, anybody that's unfamiliar with my hometown of Wollongong, W O L O N G O N G, New South Wales, Australia, Locally known as the Gong. The gong, yeah, the gong. Shout out to gong. So I love my home. I'm a huge advocate for for where I'm from. And I've pretty much exhausted my shooting opportunities here, like as you do for the best part of like a 15-odd year career as a creator. Um, And that's been a huge catalyst for me to travel um, elsewhere and go on road trips and that type of thing. Um, My most recent like big road trip was with my girlfriend, two and a half months, living out of a Honda CRV, fully loaded, bogged down, like tires in the wheel arches, scrubbing on every little bump in the road. Um, yeah, so we, we drove up to, to Cairns, which is like nonstop 30 hours worth of driving, but we broke it up in about two and a half months. Um, and I was like capturing the entire way, like creating content. Like I've got some of my drone lapses from there, et cetera. Um, and then if we want to think even further afield, like I've um, I've been lucky enough to travel a lot of places all around the world for, for work and for leisure, yeah. Hmm. Do you think the pandemic has changed your attitude towards travelling and, and photography in particular, you know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I... <laughs> that's, that's a loaded question, mate. Uh, just give me a moment yeah because right. i gotta i gotta figure out how to break this question down because there's a couple of aspects there that i want to address okay so i said this today in a tweet actually that like i feel really fortunate to have done so much travel prior to the pandemic i feel like this pandemic i 
I see it kind of similar to something like 9-11 that just mm. shakes up the entire travel industry. Yep. Travel is going to be a lot more difficult here on out, I think, not just um, economically, but in terms of just like A, needing to be vaccinated, B, having to wear masks on flights, B, having to get COVID, uh, C, having to get COVID tests, D, having to do like isolation when you arrive at destinations and like all these things, mate. Like I know it's different all around the world, but yeah. like it's more difficult. It's more challenging and it hasn't even been possible for us Australians since like early last year. So with that being said, I'm incredibly fortunate that I've been able to travel a lot. And honestly, I took it for granted and it's been kind of nice to have this moment of just being settled, being grounded, like, since I was uh, 17 and left school, I've just been go, 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 like being real switched on and proactive with work and my career and with traveling and creating. Um, And honestly feel like I'm kind of like settled down and I've reached like, like I'm still young. I'm 26. I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm a wise old monk or something, but I feel like I've reached a point of maturity where I am content with being in one spot for a little while and actually taking the time to focus on my future, to focus on strengthening myself, to focus on strengthening my relationship with my family and my friends, Mm. build a bit more of a sense of community and give back to other people because I have had quite a selfish mindset with just uh, like living living my best life, you know, inverted commas, Um, as dumb as that sounds, like I have been having a fucking great time. Um, And it's kind of nice to just be a bit settled, reflect upon all the great times I've had, but also think ahead into the future and um, maybe just have a little bit more intention with, um, with my travel and stuff like that. Um, a lot of it has been very like hedonistic and I think heading into the future, I really want to, um, like I've been talking to people on Twitter about like, fuck, as soon as I can, I want to get over to the U S and just do a trip around and just hang out with people, connect with people face to face. And, um, same goes for like, I've got heaps of friends in Europe that I want to go catch up with. My girlfriend is from England. So like, obviously as soon as we can we're going to go fly over there and and catch up with her family etc and i'm really going to cherish that that experience yeah 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 i think uh i think a lot of people have uh seen this as a a bit of a reset moment for you know not not just travel in general but uh their own specific the way they think about travel the way that they you know look at it you know as you said you know it was something that everybody you know that could afford it took for granted you know you could definitely you could just yeah. you know pay your money jump on a flight go wherever you cheapest chips mate for us privileged white folk you know that's right you know yeah and i i think there's there's probably a lot of what you were just saying you know that resonates with me in terms of you know thinking about why you're traveling thinking about where you're going and you know what what it is that you're doing there you know yeah, definitely. And and the the cultures that you're gonna immerse yourself in, because it's quite easy, once again, as a as a privileged white male to just have the cash and, and go to these these that's beautiful it. places yeah. with a culture that's completely different to yours and kind of like not even 
not even acknowledge it in the way that you should. I'm not going to say that I like disrespected anybody or anything like that. Like, it's more like I would go to these places and I would see it more of like, oh, I just want to see these crazy sites and capture the crazy images and stuff like that, as opposed to thinking, all right, like, what is the culture here? How do these people, how do they, like, how do they feel about, the politics and their social situation and what's their standard of living like and what do they do for work and do they have the opportunities that I have like and if not how do we enable these people to be able to live a life that I do where they can have creative expression and you know I think I just want to be a bit more thoughtful as I'm traveling moving into the future yeah definitely absolutely and I think that that for me also extends into the you know the the environment you know 100 yeah. percent there's a there's a lot of and I know uh you know one of the one of the spaces we were in actually I think I think it might have been this morning was you know there was a bit of bit of a discussion about um you know the the, the fact that people might geotag somewhere and then you know see that shot everybody then says okay i want to go and take that shot because you know it's some iconic location or it's a it's a new location that they've they've never seen photographed before you know and you know i i think there's a there's a lot of people that now have stopped geotagging stopped mentioning where it is that they've they've taken the shot from simply because they recognize that you know the popularity of a location can you know actually end up destroying it or you know close to destroying it yeah it's not just out of respect for that um like landscape but out of respect for like the local people as well absolutely so when when you're out and about you know in in the environment what are what are you thinking about in terms of making sure that you know either you know I guess it extends a little bit beyond just, you know, leave no trace, you know, you walk in and out of there with only leaving your foot, footprints, you know, but how do you see that educational piece and the, the role of educating other photographers and other people out in the general public about some of these delicate landscapes and, uh, and so forth? This is, a, this is a tricky topic to yeah, very. tackle. But I, I like the tricky questions. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this is something I've definitely considered quite a bit. Um, I just want to give a shout out to my girlfriend because um, she's kind of given me a bit of a refreshed lease on life. Um, like I met her prior to, to COVID. And I think spending a lot of time with her and having some good existential conversations about our environment um, and the way that we treat Mother Nature um, has been really good for my soul and just for, for my outlook on life. So with that being said, um, we have made a lot of lifestyle choices in order to, to play our part. Um, things like reducing or, and borderline eliminating single-use plastic, um, especially when we're traveling around. Like we've always got keep cups. We always try and um, go to like, fruit markets and stuff where we can where they're not using like plastic and shit like that like just these all sound like dumb little things but the way that i look at it is if i'm doing these things personally i 
within my moral compass can't feel bad. And I understand that we all do things that have a negative consequence on the environment. But the way that I look at it is in this day and age with the civilization that we've created, it's inevitable. It's inescapable unless you're going to go live in a fucking hippie commune in the forest. Um, it's inevitable. So even that probably is going to have an impact on the environment in some way. Exactly. Know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, to me personally, it's just um, about minimizing my personal impact. And I've also considered how can I educate other people? But I have a bit of a moral conflict because I see myself as more of an entertainer than um, than an informer or an educator. So yeah. I yeah, these obviously I want to try and be an activist for the environment but maybe it's a bit it maybe it's it's me being a bit of a pussy because i just don't want backlash honestly like i and because there's always going to be people that are going to come along and just be those those climate change deniers and just be fuckwits and just be like oh it doesn't matter you know the world's doomed um but the fact of the matter is there are so many things that all of us can do on a daily basis and decisions that we can make that attribute to the bigger picture, even if it is um, to do with where you spend your money and the businesses that you support and something as simple as just refusing to take a plastic bag or whatever, that all adds up. Like imagine if we all adopted that mindset I and I'm not going to preach any further because I just don't personally feel like that's my place. I want to bring... I want to bring joy to people. I want people to see the beauty of this world. And hopefully that alone will discourage them from tarnishing this planet. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. So what do, you, what do you think you've learned about the world through photography and, you know? Film? Everything. <laughs> no, I, I, I would say like maybe three quarters of my, um, my intellect up here. Um, realistically, we spoke about this before. I don't know why this was the first thing that popped to mind, but um, just maintaining your youthful essence mm-hmm. and your youthful outlook on life and your curiosity and passion for things. Because once again, I'm in a privileged situation where I've actually been able to pursue my dreams and pursue my dream career. Um, and that makes me very um, like, it gives me a very positive outlook on life and i i really hope that people can resonate with that in in one way or another you know like to to get out there stay motivated keep creating so what's the what's the most memorable experience you've had when you're uh, out shooting so this is why you need to send me these questions beforehand because you put this is so hard when i get put i hate when people ask me this question i don't know about most memorable but this is like probably most life-changing i said this to my friends the other day like my most life-changing experience as 15 years old and at this stage i'd been immersed in the sport of mountain biking and filming and documenting like my friends and even some like pretty high profile athletes and events for about three years and i um caught wind of like what was called an underground race where basically they just go into the forest, they set up this remote timing system um, and it was hosted by a magazine, like a very reputable international magazine called Revolution Mountain Bike Magazine. And as a 15 year old kid, they offered me $500 to drive three hours 
from Wollongong to fucking Hampton Forest out past the Blue Mountains near yep. Oberon. You know where I'm talking about. I know about. where you are, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So my mum... At near Shooter's Hill. At the, age, <laughs> at the age of... Yeah, exactly. At the age of 15 years old, fucking God bless my mother. Oh, mum, I love you. I don't, like, I, she's technologically retarded. I'm going to have to, like, to just play this podcast for her, but... <laughs> My mother drives me three hours each way for me to go do that. Like, this is the privilege I'm talking about, you know, and I'm never going to disregard this privilege that I had the support network to allow me to get to where I am today. But the point is, like, that was a turnkey moment. Somebody was willing to pay me to go into the forest and film a sport that I love. Like, I love being in nature and I love mountain biking. And then consequently i love filming yeah in in that under those circumstances and somebody wanted to pay me for that and i'm a kid mind-blowing yeah that that's yeah that that like i'm sure there will be many more moments that like come along in my life that really shake things up but if i look retrospectively that is the life-changing moment because if that never happened if somebody hadn't offered to pay me. It's not like I went out asking for money. That's the difference. There's a lot of creatives that come into this industry nowadays that look at it as a money-making venture. And that's all good and well. There's space for that. They can do that if they want to, yeah. but they're going to hit a ceiling and that ceiling is going to be their fucking motivation because they're going to see it as a fucking job and a grind. They're not going to be passionate about it. And nobody's going to be paying them to do what they love. Yeah. And once again, I'm fortunate that I had been given that opportunity, but that is a turnkey moment. And I would encourage everybody to try and get to that point in whatever outlet you're passionate about. Because honestly, if you're good enough at something, doesn't matter what it is, A, people are going to resonate with it, and B, somebody is almost certainly going to pay for it. If they can see merit in that skill, or your perspective or your idea, they're going to pay for it. Um, it's just a matter of time, a matter of perfecting your craft. And I was no means perfect at my craft at this stage. Like I was, I look back, I can't even watch that video that I got paid $500 for. Like you would have to pay me $500 right fucking now to go and watch that video. I'm not wasting my time to go and watch it. But the thing is, that's a stepping stone. And I feel like people really need those stepping stones to break through to the next stage in their career. Absolutely. So while we're, while we're on the subject of of making money, I mean, there's, there's lots of different ways. One of the most recent is NFTs. Good segue. Um, I I thought so. (laughs) So tell us about your experience with NFTs a little bit. And, you know, I, there was an earlier episode uh, that I had with Jack Wardell, which was a bit of a primer. So, you know, I don't think I want to touch on too much about what we talked about there. You know, if you if you don't know what NFTs are, go back, listen to that episode. And, uh, you know, I couldn't tell you what, what number it is, but go and find the Jack Wardell episode, listen to that. That gives you a pretty good primer on what they are. But what what's Ty Bowmaker's experience in, in FT, NFTs and you know, how did you get into it and why? Well, first of all, number one experience getting to meet Mr. Grant Swinburne right here that's conducting the podcast. Thank you, Grant. 
Um, second of all, shout outs to Jack. Um, I haven't even met Jack, but he's a real good dude. He's done a lot to help out, like not just you and I, but a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so if anybody hasn't listened to that podcast, he's very well spoken and i'm sure he has a lot of great insight to provide for anybody that's kind of curious about a what an nft is and b what's so fucking great about the community that we're trying to build right that's right um so with that being said i'm gonna directly quote somebody else i believe laurie has been on your podcast he most certainly has laurie grace yeah that's there we reference. go okay okay yeah 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 yeah, go go back and listen to Laurie's podcast if you haven't already. Um, so, Laurie has said, "I came for the coin. I stayed for the community." Yep. This is pertaining to NFTs, right? And I resonate with that a lot. You know, like I I had peers that were in the US that were selling NFTs, and they were doing it for a couple of months, maybe like two or three months. And I just thought to myself, this is fucking dumb. Like what, this makes no fucking sense. Like how are you, that doesn't even add up. Why are people spending money on that? Yeah, but, but, but what? And, buying a JPEG with- Yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah. money so that's obviously, not, not paper money, you know? Exactly, and this is the backlash that people get. It's because there's not the fiat currency. That's it. Attached to it. But there is because the fair currency has gone into it. But anyway, I don't want to go into those technicalities. I think if I were to truly take a step back, I had a lot of skepticism, but I couldn't I couldn't deny what I saw happening. Hmm. I couldn't deny what the, the successes that my peers were experiencing. Um and they ultimately gave me the opportunity. They um like they said, look, this is what you, you, this is the direction you could potentially be going down. They provided me with a couple of links and that type of thing. I read into it a little bit further. And I was in a position where COVID lockdown started and this was late June. Um, and I'd already been researching for probably like the best part of three months, sitting in clubhouse rooms, um, going onto YouTube, going onto Google every day. Yeah. And just doing little bits and pieces of research, like in my downtime, like between other activities and just kind of learning more about cryptocurrency and learning more about NFTs, because as I said, I genuinely thought it was dumb. And the thing that we have discussed, Grant, and this is the most important thing, in my opinion, and mm -hmm. I believe this is going to be the most important thing heading into the future. Well, it's two aspects. The first one's going to be mass adoption, but the second aspect, which is more important, is it pertains to how the masses will adopt NFTs. Yep. And I don't know if this has been touched upon by anybody else, but real world um, transactions or real world kind of like credibility for these tokens. If Let's say, for example, you purchase a digital token and in the real world, that gives you access to all of the Los Angeles Lakers games yep. or you buy an NFT from Nike and it gives you access to one of a hundred shoes that are produced all around the world. Like there's only a hundred of these in the world, but because you own that NFT, you own that. Token. You have access to it. Access exactly. To it. Yeah. 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 And I think once I understood that potential, 
it changed my whole mindset mm-hmm. around this marketplace and around what I can provide other people. And I'm only just scratching the surface. Like okay. I, I've got a whole bloody well fucking note of ideas of like stuff that I want to execute that I haven't even expanded upon. It's just, you know, they're there. The point is there's going to be a lot of room for expansion heading into the future. Um, is there anything in particular that you actually want me to touch upon in regards to NFTs? Like, cause no, I, I, I mean, just don't I, want to go too broad here. That's all. I, I guess I, I'd like to pick up on the community aspect in particular, yep. because you know, that that's something that I, I don't think a lot of people outside that community have kind of got their heads around. And I was, I was having a chat actually with uh, Jeff um, Freestone on, on Twitter, um, just in tweets, not, uh, not on a space or anything. Yep. Um, and he was sort of asking the question, he, he hasn't gotten into it or hadn't gotten into it at the, at the time this, this um, you know, Twitter exchange occurred. And one of the things that, you know, he was questioning and trying to understand was how this community actually came to be. And I think, you know, we've touched on it a couple of times. A big part of it is this culmination. Yeah, there was Clubhouse before Spaces in Twitter actually came about. And a lot of this is generated through Twitter and those Spaces being sort of the first time in social media history where in conjunction with a mainstream social media platform, you've actually been able to hear the voice of the people that you might be interacting with on Twitter. And that is, that is a huge catalyst. But if I actually, if I were to like, if I were to look at the root cause for this community building, it's because people are fed up of competing against each other. I know I certainly am like, especially mm-hmm. because I've, I've been through that freelance grind for the best part of 10 years now. And it fucking sucks. Like it's not fun. And I've got a lot of friends that I have to compete against for contracts. And honestly, like there is resentment for those people. Like at least I feel that way. And I know that it's not right, but I'm only human, right? And I feel resentment towards my friends when they may secure job contracts and that type of thing over me because it's like, well, why didn't I get that? And then you have these kind of like, these existential fears, you have this um, imposter syndrome that creeps yeah, up. Yeah. Am I not good enough? You know? Yeah, exactly. And I have heard of people experiencing that within the NFT community, but I believe that if they were approaching, not, not specifically the marketplace, but the collector creator dynamic with a, di- a bit of a different mindset where they're really... Um, they're more appreciative of that networking yeah. as opposed to just selling their artwork. They're probably going to see more success and they're going to benefit a lot more from it as well, because it kind of was back to what I was saying before about coming for the coin, staying for the community, because it is real easy to just look at this as a quick cash grab. But then when you look at the way that dude, if you fucking scroll down my Twitter profile, it's, I'm sharing more work from other people than my own work. 
Yeah. I'm like retweeting stuff all day, every day because I'm so inspired by what other people are doing. And I want to share that with other people, but not only do I want to share that, I want to uplift those artists and I want more prospective collectors to see see that work. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big part of the community is that we all know that if we work together to get the right eyes on each other's work, it's like a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. Like the every, everybody benefits from it outwards unless unless you're going to just be one of those selfish people that just try and like take the cash and run but like we've we tend to establish that those people aren't welcome here and it's pretty you're going to figure out pretty quickly if people have those intentions anyway because they're not really willing to have like an open dialogue or really contribute to conversation it's more like hey here's my work <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah, yeah 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 um so yeah i think it's it's got it's got a lot to do with just uplifting others and i think i said earlier in this podcast there's something very motivational about motivating other people like any any success in sales that i have seen i want to see for everybody around me tenfold mm. Like that's going to make me more fucking happy than selling out my own work, seeing everybody else around me succeed at the same time. Because like you, I'm not placing all my eggs in this basket. It's a good little side hustle or whatever. And I've been immersing myself in a lot more recently, just simply because I haven't had real world job prospects. So it has kind of been a bit of a silver lining in a sense that I have had the time to dedicate to just building my online presence, so to speak. Um, whether that be NFTs on my own website or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, all of that comes down to building a community of people that are interested in your work and yep. it's a mutual interest. Yep. Yeah, I think that's, you know, one of the things that uh, I certainly noticed. And, you know, I'll, I'll freely admit when in, you know, with that, initial mindset oh always here's an opportunity to make a bit of money if you if you can you know but i also like any you know in inverted commas investment or you know as i call it gambling um never gamble more than you're prepared to lose you know so yeah i i I went into it with the mindset that you know okay well if i don't sell a piece why why would i worry you know if if i if i put it out there and nobody buys it well either i haven't found the right buyer or i haven't sold it in the right way um but then as you said you know you get into into spaces and you start to find like-minded people that have this passion for not just selling their own work but selling everybody else's as well and and, that... and collecting art as and well collecting like it, yeah. I, b- b- before i had even released any work online i had supported my peers who had put me onto nfts i yeah. loaded my wallet up i purchased their nfts before i'd even put anything on OpenSea. yeah and that's a because i wanted to support them and invest in their creative journey and b because I think like collecting art is amazing. I've got, I've commissioned my friends to make art like around my house, etc. Like I've paid for 
for paintings overseas when I've been traveling and had them shipped back to Australia because I love art. I love collecting art. And this is a new frontier for that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the, the future of it is, you know, pretty much, you know, whatever anyone can imagine, you know, to, to be honest, because you can get crossovers between that virtual world where the NFTs exist as a, you know, at, at a base level as a JPEG, you know, all the way through to, you know, physical manifestations of that you know you have a look at some of the work that Ruben Wu has done recently where he's actually worked you know with some uh, techies to come up with this display technology which isn't an LCD screen so it's not a it's not just a standard TV or computer screen this is actually a piece of art that displays different light in different light and you know it, it's amazing looking technology and it's pushing that physical art world along uh, i don't know track. if i'm familiar with what you're talking about but can you send me a message yeah absolutely like I'll... later later even later on if you want to just just so i know what you're talking about yeah no worries Re ruben's stuff is absolutely amazing i mean he, he was doing some amazing just photography and video work with drones particularly nighttime. i do remember seeing his drone work yeah with long yeah. exposures well, he's he's extended and expanded that in the nft space and he's uh he's actually worked with some uh, uh some technology guys to come up with this new display technique and it's it, it is mind-blowing when you see it in its physical form yeah, yeah, I mean, I've only seen video of it so far, but you know, it 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 really gets you gets you thinking about what what the possibilities might be. So, like digital displays, basically in real life. Kinda, yeah, but it's as I say, it's not a it's not a computer screen. So yeah, it, yeah, it, it's a piece. Of, it, it is actually an artwork in itself, and the light and the techniques that they've used to to add light to it. Um, you know, I don't know because he's been fairly tight-lipped about it and quite rightly, you know, because there's probably... Sounds some, intriguing. Yeah, there's some patents and whatever involved in it, no doubt. But, uh, yeah, just seeing some of what he's doing. But, I mean, he's not the only one. There's, uh, you know, people like Ben Strauss with his 24-hour... Uh, yeah, you know, that stuff's insane. You know, and it, it, it just blows my mind that, you know, you could you could literally take this stuff anywhere you like. Yeah. yeah that's that's it mate some of the ideas i have it is it's a combination of factors but it's more like i just got to meet the right people that can help me execute it yeah yeah because like a lot of things and i think a real good thing about this community building is that you can make some pretty incredible connections and even if within that network you don't know somebody somebody will know somebody you know what i mean yeah all you gotta do is like put a tweet out there put an instagram story out there whatever and just see see who replies no harm done. Somewhere. that's right and if no one replies okay you haven't found the right people yet you know? yeah exactly yeah that's it all right we've been going for a little while so uh probably need to think about wrapping up um are there any other photographers out there that you think I should be talking to on the podcast. Have you spoke to Gab Scanu yet? 
Not yet, but he's he's definitely uh, one that I've got on the list. Yeah, I'll um I'll put in a good word for you. I don't know him personally, but um he's been very active like in the um like Twitter and NFT photography community lately, and I think he's honestly like I'm a little bit biased because I'm just a fucking huge fan of his work, but. Yeah. If I were to pick somebody who's kind of at the forefront of Aussie photographers in NFTs, he's the man right now. Like his pieces are selling for multiple ETH and he already has so much credibility behind his work. Um, that'd be my pick. Like I would love to just like hear a little bit. I already know like quite a bit about his story and stuff anyway, mm-hmm. but I feel like you could really pick his brain with some unique questions that would bring a lot of benefit to your audience brilliant All but right. um yeah other otherwise um the only other person and he's probably going to be pretty hard to get a hold of is alex kwan um in the yep. u.s he was originally based in chicago he's now based in la um and he's he's the peer of mine that i was mentioning earlier on basically right. put me onto yep. nfts like i'm a collector of his work and he's come from a financial background. Like he worked like the financial nine to five grind yeah. and absolutely hated it and then became a, a full-time creative more or less and is now quite literally flipping JPEGs. And yeah, he's a, he's a super interesting guy. If, if you guys aren't following Alex, um, Alex Q-I-A-N, Alex Kwan, um, his work's phenomenal, really intelligent dude, like just really switched on with crypto as well, which I think is really important. Um, and something that I need to learn a hell of a lot fucking more, which is just really hard with like all things technology. There's so many layers that you need to understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause it, it's not necessarily just about the, uh, about the NFTs or the or the JPEGs, as you say, the financial markets at the end of the day. So that's right. That's absolutely right. All right, I got one more question for you, and for me, it's probably the most important. Um, do you like pineapple <laughs> on pizza? Oh, I knew this was coming. Um, <laughs> I've got a I've got a very on the fence response towards this, and this is like I like to adopt this this approach with a lot of things in life. I don't care if you put pineapple on pizza, like if that's what floats your boat, then that's all good and well. Like I, it's, it's not my pizza. I don't have to eat it. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't harm me to look at it. So you enjoy. Yeah. I, I like pineapple on my pizza from time to time. If somebody's got like a, a ham and um, a ham and pineapple pizza, I'll definitely have a slice. Like I'm not going to turn it down. I'm a hungry boy, you know, but that's right. um, I would never go to a pizza store and order a um, a pizza a pizza like with the intention of it having pineapple on there. And as somebody that has visited Italy and had traditional Italian pizza, I think it's borderline a fucking crime to basically put anything <laughs> but like cheese a bit of basil and tomato on there but like that's a completely different debate let's not go down that path so yes pineapple on pizza if you want it you fucking send it you live your life you enjoy it don't harm other people for the most part don't break the law take care of your family and friends don't know what else to say on that topic 
Fantastic. All pineapples matter. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, thanks very much uh, for spending the time with me, uh, Ty. It's, it's okay. It's been a fucking great yarn, dude. I know yeah. I said I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, we can probably like keep this pretty limited, but it's good once we actually get a bit of a flow going with the conversation. It's nice. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what it's about. It's meant to be a conversation, not an interrogation. As a, a, yeah, as a yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've enjoyed it. Good. All right. Well, I've certainly enjoyed catching up with you and uh, fantastic to, you know, learn a bit more about how you do what you do. Um, yeah, where can people you, find uh, your work? People can find my work at my website. First and foremost, that is www.captivate with a Y, C-A-P-T-Y-V-A-T-E.com. Um, on top of that, I've been incredibly active on Twitter lately. Um, so that's once again, at Captivate, at Captivate on Instagram. Um, otherwise, you can try and track me down in the forest or um, doing some other wild shit somewhere out there in nature. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks again, Matt. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on here. Um, just some final words for the audience as well. If you're feeling down today, just remember there are brighter times ahead. There's a silver lining to, to every scenario, whether you realize it today or you realize it in a year's time. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Matt. And, uh, you know, it's really good to remind people that uh, not everything's as bad as it might seem. No, definitely not. No, no, no. There's, there's, there's always, it could always be worse, you know? Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work and this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne and hope to see you out shooting soon.